Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to IASA's Additional Coverage Podcast, episode number 28. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and joining me for today's additional coverage, I'm pleased to welcome today's guest, Jim Baird. Hello, Jim. Great to see you. Great to see you, Tim. Thanks for the opportunity to join you today. Now, Jim is the Chief Investment Officer and a partner at Plant Moran. He was recently featured as a keynote speaker at the Michigan Technology Leaders Summit on April 19th. Today, Jim is going to give us a mid-year update on his economic forecast. But first, I would like to take a moment to recognize and express my appreciation for the support that we receive from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all of the benefits that come with membership in IASA. The annual conference, IASA Exchange, begins on June 4th in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Jim will be there. We invite you to come and explore all of this year's unique educational offerings. You can find out more at IASA.org. Well, hey, Jim, the uh, economic forecasts and updates, they're always important and really well received by our audience. Would you please get us started today by talking to us about where we've been economically and how closely the economic conditions followed our expectations from even six months ago? I mean, there were doomsday forecasts of a recession. Now, if that were to happen, what would that look like? So much time, I guess I'd say, spent on this topic over the last year. If you went back to the first half of, of 2022, we actually had two negative quarters of GDP growth. And many at that point in time were pointing to the probability of a recession as a result. Uh, a lot of technical reasons why that wasn't the case. But as the year progressed, we saw more leading economic indicators point in the direction of further softening. And I think that's ultimately what we've seen. As you look forward from today, I don't think you can discount the risk of recession. I I think it's very definitely there. Why is that? Well, uh, you know, look at some of those leading economic indicators, whether you look at the actual index of leading economic indicators, that's been negative for some period of time and is in territory typically associated with recession. You look at what the Federal Reserve has done by raising short-term interest rates. We've seen short-term interest rates rise well beyond the level of long-term rates, creating this yield curve inversion, which is often a precursor to recession, and then a host of other factors. So I think when you look at all of it, it certainly points to a slowdown in the economy. And I believe ultimately we will see a recession most likely in the coming 12 months. The question around all of this though, comes down to two things. When will it arrive? When will we get there? And how severe might it be? And that's, uh, you know, obviously there's no way to say in advance what that looks like, but trying to time when a recession will actually arrive is exceptionally difficult. Even the professionals that are associated with determining, actually setting the business cycle, determining when a recession starts, when it ends, often can't tell for up to a year afterward. So sometimes you're there and you don't even realize it. It's not obvious. But in terms of the the other question of, of how severe could this be, I would just caution people who have become anchored to the idea of what we experienced in 2020 or 2008, 2009, that this may not be anything like that. Both were very, uh, very severe. 2020, as everybody would recall, was very short but it was a severe recession. Unemployment rose significantly. 2008 in the global financial crisis was much more more protracted. But I think you can make a case this time around when you look at overall underlying conditions, the strength of the consumer sector, that this may not be as as severe as either of the last two recessions. You might really need to look back 20 years or more for a good comparison to a more typical business cycle recession. Well, that would be good news. 
Well, speaking of the interest rates, you know, the Fed just raised them for the 10th consecutive time. And people generally tie that to trying to slow down inflation. Do you think that this most recent rate hike will finally curb inflation? They, they've kind of left the door open to, to not doing that anymore. They have. And I would I would uh, characterize what we heard from the Fed earlier this week as a bit of a hawkish pause. They tried to send the message that they believe there's a chance that they've done enough. And they've done an awful lot. As you noted, 10, 10 consecutive hikes, five percentage points. That is a big move in a short period of time. So that they're, they're acknowledging that perhaps they've done enough, but leaving the door open to the potential to do a little bit more. And, you know, there's a good reason for that. The difficulty with monetary policy is that it's not a scalpel. You know, you'd love to think that the Fed is, is able to be that precise in the execution of policy, but they're not. It's really more of a chainsaw. You've got this, this massive economy that, that is hard to turn, and you've got policy tools that, while effective, don't always play out in the same way in each cycle. So there's no way to know as of today how much of what they've already done has been fully absorbed by the economy and how much is yet to come. And I do think the part that is yet to come is meaningful. And I do think that that's why the Fed has, at least for now, said, we're going to take a pause. We're going to look at, at how the situation develops from here, watching carefully the two key things that they're focused on. Inflation, as you mentioned, and the labor market, overall employment conditions. They go hand in hand in terms of bringing inflation back down to the Fed's 2% target. So ultimately, I would say that they have the tools that they need to be able to bring inflation back down under control. I don't think this is a long-term challenge that we're going to be dealing with much as we saw in the 1970s. They've got the tools. The question is, how much of that do they need to deploy? How much more might they need to do to fully bring inflation back down? That's a question that remains to be answered. I'm old enough, yeah, I'm going to date myself here, that I remember what the interest rates were like in the go-go 80s and the early 90s, and mm -hmm. hopefully we, we don't get anywhere near that again. Mm -hmm. But it brings up another question. Let me pivot on this for a second, because right now, there's a big debate raging about the debt ceiling. It's got a lot of people on edge. There would be a lot of losers if Congress and the Biden administration can't reach a deal. Would there be any winners in that scenario? It's hard to envision anybody winning in that scenario. And anxiety is building. We're getting more and more questions, obviously, from clients about what does it mean and what is the risk. And, you know, this time might be a little bit different than the last several go-arounds in Washington around raising the debt ceiling. The stakes seem to be a little bit higher. Both sides seem to have dug in a little bit more. And so I don't think there's going to be an easy solution at hand. Having said that, I do expect ultimately we will get a deal. Will it come in time to avoid volatility in the equity markets? We'll see. I think that's a risk. Will it come in time to avoid at least a temporary default in some form or fashion, even if it's a matter of days. That remains to be seen. We'll see if they can come together to avoid that. It is a, a game at this point of political brinksmanship. And regardless of which side you're on uh, on this argument, I, I think most Americans, and I think the polls bear this out, most Americans would say, we don't want to see a default on the debt, even for political purposes, but also that we need to see better fiscal constraint in Washington. That's something that you know, most people in theory agree to, 
devil's in the details. How do you get there? Where do you cut? How do you, you know, perhaps raise taxes? What's the answer to all of that? And that's where it gets much tougher. But in terms of not reaching an agreement to raise the debt ceiling, it's hard to envision uh, any winners in that scenario. And that's ultimately why, even from a purely political standpoint, I think you'll see enough of both parties, perhaps, in Washington, moderates come together with the Biden administration, find a path forward, maybe an exit ramp for both sides to be able to claim that they got something that they wanted, and that would put us in a better spot. So I think we'll get there. might just be a, a, a bit of an ugly road to do so. Right. I mean, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, you know, the time to deal with that is when you're budgeting, you know, worry, worry about what you're, you're projecting or spend for the year, not, not mm-hmm. when the, when, not, not when it's time to pay the bills. What would it look like if we did default even for a few days? Well, you know, it depends on how they would approach it. The, the, the question is, you know, if they halted payments, would they do so on treasuries, interest payments that they would owe to owners of treasury bills or bonds or notes? They fail to meet the principal obligations for issues that are maturing. You know, perhaps uh, it impacts payment of Social Security benefits. I think it's a it, it's a little risky to to speculate about how they might approach it because you know nobody wants to create a panic around these things. And I, I still think that the probability of any kind of prolonged problem is is pretty low. At a minimum, if it were to last a few days, it would it could be disruptive. You don't want. Uh, individuals or households that are dependent upon social security payments, not having that cash available from a capital markets perspective, failure to pay interest or principal payments on, on federal debt would be disruptive, not only in terms of, of the direct economic impact to those holders of those instruments, but also the perception of the United States being sort of the gold standard, so to speak, for risk-free assets We saw it in 2011 when there was a downgrade of the credit rating of the United States. Didn't have a long-term impact. I mean, I think you'd make the case that the United States and treasuries are still viewed as the de facto risk-free asset globally. But every little step that, that diminishes that creates an additional risk. It erodes the confidence and ultimately causes a rise in interest rates, even on the so-called risk-free investments. Now, if you will, I'm hoping you can unpack your crystal ball and give us your thoughts and expectations for the next six months, even 12 months. What's what's your bottom line on the economy coming up? Well, as I said, I think we uh, we will continue to see growth slow. You're seeing it in a number of ways already. We got just earlier this morning the April jobs report, which suggested that job creation came in better than expected last month, but with revisions to the prior few months, strongly indicates that the pace of job creation continues to slow. That, by the way, is exactly what the Fed is trying to engineer. So it tells us in a certain sense that some of the steps they've taken are starting to take hold. But I think we'll see that continue. The U.S. simply can't continue to create jobs at the pace that it has. There's not enough workers. So I think we'll see the labor market continue to slow. That generally is correlated with a slowdown in consumer spending. One wild card in all of this, and a significant one, though, is the significant amount of savings that were accumulated by households over the course of the last few years. Some of it was a direct result of fiscal stimulus that was poured into the economy. Some of it was a result of most of us sitting at home for some period of time, not able to spend the same way that we we did. Whatever the source, you know, you look at the data and there's no question that since late 2019 and to the peak that occurred last year, there's about $2 trillion worth of additional unspent cash in household bank accounts. That's starting to erode. 
households are spending that down. Not surprising given the, the inflation that we've seen. So the question really becomes one of how fast will inflation come down from here? That would provide some relief and ability to continue to spend, grow the economy in real terms or inflation-adjusted terms. How much more will households continue to spend, particularly spend down those cash balances as labor market conditions slow and as job creation slow? And particularly if we see layoffs increase and actual job losses on net in the coming months. That's sort of the, it's it's a little bit of a, a horse race to see what what's going to take the lead, and I think that's really against the backdrop of these negative leading economic indicators. It's that ability of consumers and the households to continue to spend for some period of time that could sustain the economy forward. So. Do we see a recession at some point? I think we will. I don't think it's going to be catastrophic, but it wouldn't surprise me to see that pushed into the latter half of this year, maybe even into next year, if consumers just continue to spend. So we're not going back to uh, you know the go-go growth days of 2021. That's behind us. But if you think about where we were at leading into the pandemic, we had this decade of growth, a very long period of growth, but slow growth, significant in that it didn't create those inflationary pressures that often build up in the economy. When you get to the end of the cycle, we didn't see as much of that. But it's also consistent with demographic trends in the United States, lower labor force growth, a lot of different things there. So boil it all down, I think we're looking at an economy that will continue to soften a bit from here for a host of reasons. But will we be in recession in in three months, six months, nine months? There's no way to really know. We'll continue to monitor the data to see how it develops. But it would be no surprise if there was a little bit of a market correction. Case in point, I was just thinking about what you're saying about consumer spending. And if you look at the, for example, the travel market, when the pandemic was over, the travel market went crazy as played out with all the crowds in, uh, in airports and such. And yet my wife and I were just out to dinner last night and we were just stunned that there's no people going out to eat for dinner, going out to a movie. You know, their people are just staying home these days. We're seeing the brick and mortar places close up and everything. Well, not everything, but a lot of things going online. So it really, it really speaks to the change in the paradigm that's come from the pandemic. There's no doubt that things have changed. And some of those things aren't, you know, we're not going back to the pre-pandemic normal. Business travel still way down. And that's not likely to recover anytime soon. You're seeing more personal travel. But, you know, you think about some of the changes that did come about, the ability to lean more on streaming video or other sources of in-home entertainment. You don't have to go to the theater to watch a new movie if you don't want to. The trend towards ordering food out, having it delivered, those types of things. So things have changed. There's no doubt. And many of those changes are going to be with us for some time to come. That's one thing we can always count on is staying the same is change. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today's podcast. Hey, Jim, if uh, if our listeners would like to reach out to you, what's the best way that they can reach you? Well, you can absolutely reach me via email. My email address is jim.baird at plantmoran.com. Great. And if you have any comments about the show or any show suggestions, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com, or you can reach me on LinkedIn. Coming up, be on the lookout for the live podcast that will be broadcasting from the Expo Hall of the IASA Exchange Conference. Remember, Jim's going to be there, so show up and come see him. Until then, I'm Tim Hicks with today's guest, Jim Baird. I really appreciate you sharing your time and expertise with us. Take care and be well. Thank you for the opportunity. You as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor. Subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a new episode when it comes out. 
If you have co-workers, colleagues that also need to know about this podcast, let them know so they can follow along as well. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time.